When Dan was in grade five, his teacher told the class to answer a question. Who am I? I'm a good soccer player when I am on midfield and defense. I am a smart boy in grade five. I don't like any kind of math. I feel pretty good about myself. I don't like it when people hurt me. I am sort of good with others. I fight with my sister a lot. Oh, and I forgot to include I went to a Catholic school. I am not totally related with God, but I understand Jesus' story. That's Dan reading a school assignment from grade five. And this, this is Grown Ups Read Things They Wrote as Kids. I'm Dan Meisner. Grown Ups Read Things They Wrote as Kids is pretty much what it sounds like. Brave adults up on stage sharing weird, wonderful, and embarrassing writing with a room full of strangers. This time, recorded live at the company house in Halifax, Nova Scotia, we have dead chickens, embarrassing erections, and a childhood overdose of vitamin C. So why? Why look back at this stuff? Well, I think Dan's teacher was asking the right question. Who am I? This stuff can help us figure that out. Not only who we were, but who we are today. So think about the stuff that you wrote when you were a kid and stick around. A lot of what people bring to grown-ups read things they wrote as kids is private. It's personal. It's secret, not meant for any audience, let alone an audience of strangers. But there is an entire category of kid writing that was meant to be read by others. I'm talking, of course, about schoolwork. Our next reader, Emma, brought along a short story she wrote when she was 11 for her grade 6 English class. Now, Emma is the first to admit... She was not at the top of her class, but she was clever. So I wasn't that great in school, but I was a little bit of a kiss-ass. So I knew that if I put a little bit of like a morality thing or twist in my story, that the teacher would be like, oh, she's so smart. Great. Good mark for her. It's called Class Trip. Okay, class, projects due Thursday, said Mr. Marshall, the third grade science teacher. Phew, that Mr. Marshall sure gives a lot of homework. I'm glad we have English next, (laughs) said David to his tubby best friend, Sam. (laughs) Well, you know, David, said Sam through a mouthful of pie. (laughs) Mr. Marshall seems to give out so much homework because most kids don't finish it in class. Now, boys and girls, don't forget the field trip to the fair tomorrow. Ding! Oop! There's the lunch bell. See you all tomorrow. That night, David couldn't sleep well. He was thinking about the trip to the fair the next day. David was afraid of the big rides. The next day came so quickly, David tried to convince his mom that he had some sort of sickness, but it failed. When David got on the bus, he hoped and hoped that no one would make fun of him because he was afraid on going on some rides. But when they got there, no one made fun of him. In fact, he had the best day ever. With only a few hours left to go, somebody started calling, David, hey, David. It was Sam. David, do you want to go on that big ride with me? David looked to where Sam was pointing. There stowed the beejest ride he had ever seen. Well, I... But before he could say another word, someone crayed out, Forget it, Sam. Dave is probably too chicken. 
it was Eric Sater, one of the boys in grade six. The grade sixes started laughing. David burst out. What if I'm afraid of big rides? It doesn't mean I'm a chicken. And for once, David saw Eric look ashamed. Gee, I never thought anyone could be afraid of the big rides. I guess I should have respected your fellings. I'm sorry, the end. I've been hosting live grown-ups read things they've read as kids shows for years now. And one thing I have learned is to never underestimate childhood creativity. Our next reader, Jane, is a prime example of that. In 1970, Jane was in grade 11. And one day in her world history class, the teacher gave a quiz, including the following question. During the period 133 to 27 BC, Rome's republican system of government gradually broke down and was finally replaced by the autocracy of Augustus. Give a full explanation of the various reasons for this transition from republic to autocracy. Now, here's Jane reading her response to that question. Dear sir, unfortunately one of my attributes is a memory which does not at all times function properly. In this case, I speak of last night when it did not occur to me to do any other work in history other than some notes on the new topic. I have looked over my notes on Unit 3, but this was two nights ago, in a general glance which I expected would lead to studying in the forthcoming night. And therefore, because lately my better effort in history has earned me a 6 out of 10, I do not feel sufficiently prepared, or rather courageous, to attempt to answer the question. Now arises the problem of why I did not study in my extra moments and at lunch today. My answer to this is that I did not remember about the quiz until 12.15 when I was in the middle of an interform volleyball game. We lost. I did not emerge from the game until 12.25, thereby giving myself 10 minutes to change, go to my locker, and then to class. Understandably, you will see this does not give me much time to study. This answer, although perhaps an insult to you, not intended, is perhaps a smaller insult than that which I would have given to all of history had I attempted to answer the question. Yours sincerely, Jane. Even though Jane did not actually answer the question posed by her teacher, you have to admit, that is a pretty spirited excuse. So, how did Jane do on the quiz? Zero out of ten. If you continue to draw such meager profit from the class, I shall suggest 
that you withdraw. A minute ago, we heard Emma's short story, Class Trip, and if you'll recall, it ended abruptly. Well, it turns out Emma was not the only one who had difficulty with endings. Here's Jonathan reading the first short story he ever wrote. It's called The Problem, or at least that's what the title was at first. This is The Problem by Jonathan. Again, The Problem. Author and illustrator, Jonathan D. Root. And on the first page, the title is now changed to The Beaver. <laughs> by J. Root. Once, a happy beaver was happy whenever he did something. Almost everywhere, and one day at a great big pond in front of a cottage way, way out in that pond. On the other side, there were no trees, and already he was there last night, and there were a lot of trees, and now there were none. What could he do now? He left. Finally, he found a place, and trees, trees everywhere. He loved it. He went to work. He went into the woods, he looked behind a bush, and he found a trap. He picked up the bush and took it to the other side and started to gnaw on trees. And then he was tired. So he took a snooze, and when he woke up, he heard a sound. Slap, slap! He thought this would be the end of him, but it wasn't. And he didn't even know it. My first story apparently was a cliffhanger, because that's where it ends. Some kids write about what it would be like to be a superhero or what it might be like to win the lottery. Our next reader, however, wrote about what it would be like to be a lamp. Here's Lauren reading from the creative writing duotang she kept when she was nine years old. So I think I probably made my teacher uncomfortable. It's titled, I'm a Lamp. I am a lamp. Sometimes I feel like I'm standing in fire. Most of the time, I'm very hot. My favorite time is when the people go away on vacation because I get to turn my lights out. When I am turned on, I always smell something burning. I guess it's just my head. Something strange about me is that whenever someone turns me on, I always get a great idea. I never realized it, but maybe the light bulb is my brain. I always get angry when someone forgets to turn me off after they have used me. Most of the time, I wish I had arms so I could turn myself off. Even though there are a lot of bad things about being a lamp, there is a positive side to everything. Thank you.
You know, when we first started putting on live events back in 2007, my mother mailed me a box full of my elementary school journals, one from every school year, primary to six. And it's nice having all of them together in one place because you can really see a progression. My spelling improves, I switch from printing to cursive, and my obsession with the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles grows deeper and deeper and deeper. Our next reader, Caleb, still has all of his journals from grade one to grade six, and he brought them along to our Halifax show. Here's Caleb reading what can only be described as a pop culture time capsule from the 1990s and early 2000s. These are from grade one, and they're pretty short because I was six. (laughs) I love Mel C. the Spice Girl. My mom has retired Beanie Babies. (laughs) My nan has Titanic, the movie. That's it for grade one. This is the best of grade two. Zach has a Furby. I play with it. It is fun. It is orange and has black spots. I love it. I want one. (laughs) This is a letter I wrote to my mom for parent-teacher that she had to read, and it's just quite ironic. Dear Mom, am I doing good in spellings? Yes or no? (laughs) Am I writing good? Yes or no? I hope you have fun. Miss Langell and Miss Denton are probably going to say I am good. Love, Caleb. Uh, this, this is the showstopper. I eat 13 vitamin C. <laughs> I'm in trouble. I got sick. I had to drink a lot of water. I am grounded for a week. I do not like it. I'm mad. I have a toothache. Grade four. Today, there is no school. I am going on the computer. I'm downloading MSN. It will be fun. Yeah, this is my computer whiz days. I'm making a website. It is a Digimon site. The URL is www.geocities.com slash Caleb165 slash mainpage.html It is almost done. It is cool. Um, here also um, my top five movies of all time. Uh, January 6, 2004. Five. Uh, I'm going to go backwards like it's a music countdown show. Five. Legally Blonde 2. Red, white, and <laughs> red, white, and blonde. Four, Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets. Three, The Lord of the Rings, The Fellowship of the Ring. Two, Anne Frank, which was a made-for-TV movie. And number one, Legally Blonde, and which is still my favorite movie. Uh, and that's everything.
When Gina was growing up, she had a cat named Sasha. I actually brought her home from a grade three sleepover. Uh, For some reason, this family thought it was an okay thing to send me home with a kitten, and my parents also surprisingly said it was okay. Um, Anyway, uh, soon after that, about a year later, our other uh, family cat died, and so 10-year-old me assumed the same thing would soon happen to the new kitten in our family, so I wrote her a funeral song. (laughs) Uh, It was very preemptive because she ended up living to be 18 and uh, actually just passed away this past August. Where I know. Um, but uh, my cousin and I did sing this song at her funeral uh, in our backyard. Uh, I'm not going to sing it today. I'm just going to read it. So yeah, it's called Sasha. That was my cat's name. And there's a little thing at the top that says beat is ah, 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 ah. I don't really know what that means. <laughs> so that's why it's not being sung. Uh, there's also a disclaimer that says, this is a song dedicated to my cat who died on blank in blank. Uh, <laughs> uh, so, <clears throat> my cat's name was Sasha. She's as fast as a flash. She was loved dearly every year. She's my pussy cat. I'll remember that. For her, it was night in the sun, un, 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 sun, in the sun, oh, in the sun. <laughs> she died when I was blank. <laughs> oh, it, it was so sad. <laughs> Just if I could have been beside her when she went to bed, which I was, if that makes it better. <laughs> um, she was a calico cat. A female, you know. There is no such thing as a male. Which I did Wikipedia before I came, and that is actually quite true. (laughs) There's a genetic disposition. Anyway. uh, She loved me, I loved her, and I guess that's the way the song goes. It was a short life. I wish it had been longer. You know, the only way I can speak to her is by praying to God. Oh, praying to God. Now the only way I can speak to her is by praying to God. (laughs) And and that's it. So thank you so much. After the show out on Gottagen Street, I asked Gina to tell me a little more about her relationship with Sasha. I guess she just passed away this past summer, so when the opportunity came up to read, I I felt kind of compelled to more than that I really wanted to. I just felt like it was one of the last times to really share that story. And I I know that it, like, the lyrics, I mean, some of them are pretty hilarious, but to me, when I wrote it, like, I must have been feeling, like, a lot of angst. And and when um, we did actually sing it at her funeral, we did laugh while we were singing it, but it was a very, very sad time, and I, I cried a lot when it happened. So it's it's kind of weird for me to be up there because there's such a mix of emotions that a whole, everybody else doesn't really understand or doesn't feel. I think it's important to have just to to kind of go back and see that person that you were because you do change over time and you lose touch. And, and even talking to people who were there tonight, we talked about how... Um, I mean, yeah, you used to do this this writing or you used to be this person that maybe you don't feel like you're that person anymore. And it's interesting to, to go back and, and, you know, touch base with who you used to be and who you are now and whether that's where you want to be or do you want to take some of that um, you from the past and, and bring it into the present. So. 
Our next reader, Carmel, had a slightly different relationship with animals. She grew up on a small family farm in Cape Breton, and she documented farm life in her journal. Here's Carmel, starting with an entry she wrote when she was nine. October 15th, 91. On this Thanksgiving weekend, I didn't do much, but I watched something gross. My dad and mom were killing some chickens. It was disgusting, but it was more funny. Because my dad made a chicken plucker, and when he used it, for the first time, all the feathers went flying everywhere. But before he did, he did that, he had to kill them, of course. This is how he did it. First, he went in the chicken coop and grabbed a chicken, put it on a big round piece of wood, and cut the head off with the axe. Then put it head first in one of the two funnels that were hanging on the chicken coop wall, so most of the blood would drip out. Then he dipped the chicken in boiling water and took it in the workshop to pluck the feathers. After, he had to cut the back open and stick his hand in and pull the guts and all that smelly junk out. My dad showed me the heart and it looked kind of like this. There's a little pencil drawing of a chicken heart. It was pink and purple and it was fun looking at all the different parts of the chicken. October 23rd, 91. It's miraculous. We took computer for the first time computer was a great invention. It was so exciting to touch the mouse. (laughs) Mrs. Harvey is our computer instructor. She showed us how to put the disc in and how to take it out. May 21st, 92. Ashley is my friend. She sits behind me. I used to hate her, but now I like her even though she is very much shorter than me. (laughs) A couple years later, I got interested in... um, politics and I gained more attitude. This is February 3rd, 95. Today I decided to write about one of the best songwriters in all of the world, Bob Dylan. He is so cool. He wrote a song called Bear Mountain. It's about a picnic and how the ship sank and he was on the shore almost dead. He later said, I'll stay in the kitchen, have a picnic in the bathroom, showing his hatred for picnics. (laughs) He also wrote a song called Talking John Birch Blues. It's about communists and how much he hates them. (laughs) April 21st, 95. Big brothers. First of all, I don't like the word big. Why don't they use large, overpowering, chauvinistic? (laughs) Anything. Just not big. But to the point, why can't mothers have all of us at the same time? Well, probably because before she got pregnant, she would have to do some bodybuilding so she'd be able to carry around this 100-pound stomach instead of a 10-pound one. If our mothers had us all at the same time, we wouldn't have big brothers. We'd all be the same and equal. They could never call us little kids who don't care about anything but ballet and pink bowls. And I would never have to say, hey, that's not true. And by the way, you forgot horses. (laughs) After that, I stomp off to my room and feel totally offended and degraded. So if we didn't have big brothers, we wouldn't have to go through all that trouble. Thank you. You know, this is the incredible thing about going back and reading stuff that you wrote as a kid, is that we are who we are, and we like to think that we grow and develop into these big, advanced humans, but we are who we are. Like, I still have that same cynicism and attitude, and um, I still think that my brother is at times chauvinistic, but, but with a good heart behind it. <laughs> 
No, I think that I think that the building blocks of who we are are just there from the beginning, and we just hopefully get better and and get smarter. But you know, all of our spirit is there from the beginning. One of the things I love about this kind of writing is how it can capture a moment in time, how it can preserve what we were thinking and feeling long after those thoughts and feelings have blurred and faded in our own memories. Our next reader, Dan, brought along some journal entries he wrote when he was 13, right on the awkward, embarrassing edge of puberty. In these journal entries, he captures exactly what it was like when girls stopped being gross and started to be very, very interesting. Now, just as a quick heads up, Dan's reading does contain a cuss word or two, and it does acknowledge the existence of embarrassing teenage boners. Okay, here's Dan. October 14th, 1996. It's only been two days, but being a teenager is the bomb. (laughs) Last night, mom dropped me and Sean off at the mall to go see a movie. We were thinking about going to see Space Jam, but that's kids stuff. We went to see we went to see Mighty Ducks 3. <laughs> and it was pretty good, but the best part came after the movie. Sean told me his girlfriend heard that Terry thinks I'm cute. Man, if she was my girlfriend, that would be amazing. I didn't think she liked me at all after I hit her in the face by accident <laughs> playing basketball last month. Man, she was pissed. But I think she must see how cool I am this year. Grade 7 rocks. October 17th, 1996. Get this, it says diary, and I crossed it and put journal. I asked Terry if she would dance with me at the dance next week, and she said probably. (laughs) I'm pretty sure she really does think I'm cute. Her and Lisa were saying that Sean and I should ask if we can put our desk next to theirs. I think I'm ready for my first serious girlfriend. It'll be a lot cooler than being Terry's boyfriend than it was being Stacy's. She sucked. October 25th, 1996. Oh, man. The dance started so good, but ended so bad. I've been practicing my dance moves all week, and they were awesome. I was hoping they would play Tupac, and they did. I had a bunch of people clapping when I busted to California Love, and even Terry was smiling. I was nervous all night waiting to ask Terry to dance, but when the slow song came on, I had to make my move. She said yes when I asked if we could dance. My hand was all the way on her butt and everything. But that's when it went shit ways. Terry is tall, which I think is cool, but her boobs are right on my eye level. She let me put her hand on her butt and it was too much and I felt like I was getting a boner. I tried so hard to think of something gross like bugs or an old person eating ice cream, but it was too late. I was pressed close to Terry and it was no good. Full boner. I told her I was feeling sick and ran to the bathroom before the song was over. I didn't want to look like a spaz and not finish the song, so I splashed cold water on my face to make it go down. I ran back to the multi-purpose room, and Terry asked if I was feeling okay. She then looked at my pants. I splashed water all over them because I was rushing. Crap! I told her it was because when I washed my hands, but she was looking at me like I was crazy. The song was over and the lights came on. It really did look like I pissed my pants. She said she believed me, but I don't know, Journal. I don't know. (laughs) 
You have to admit, Dan was pretty brave to get up on stage and bare his soul like that. But you know what took even more guts? It's how Dan managed to get his hands on that teenage journal. I did not have my journals, so I actually had to call my parents to read the journals. And as a 30-year-old, my mom read that back to me verbatim. And I... Yeah, that was pretty awkward. (laughs) That is Grown Ups Read Things They Wrote as Kids. Our show was recorded live at the company house in Halifax. Our music is by Poddington Bear. And if all of this sounds like fun to you and you want to find out when we're coming to your town for a live show, just visit our website, grownupsreadthingstheywroteaskids.com. That's also where you can listen to past episodes for free and sign up for our email newsletter. That's grownupsreadthingstheywroteaskids.com. I'm Dan Meisner. Thanks for listening. <laughs>